1: Today's episode is brought to you by Headspace. Uh, Ravi, you and I have both been big fans of Headspace for a long time. We've been using it long before... Uh, it was a sponsor of the show. I found a new and exciting application uh, of Headspace, which is uh, the the meditations for kids. Um, so lately, True has been having a little bit of trouble um, falling asleep. So I said, hey, why don't we do a meditation? And at first, he was kind of resistant. And then we started doing them. And now he wants to do them like every night. It's just yet another way in which Headspace is, has been really clutch.
0: Yeah. And it's one of the only meditation apps advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. And it can help you in any situation. If you're struggling in the morning, Headspace has the wake up daily original content intended to inspire your day from the moment you wake up and get a nice bounce to your step as you walk out the door or walk down to the other side of your house and get on your Zoom call. Yeah.
1: Uh, Look, you deserve to feel happier, and Headspace is a meditation app that just makes it simple. You go to headspace.com slash m54. That's headspace.com slash m54 for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash m54 today i'm jason kander and this is majority 54 a podcast that helps americans who voted for progress convince those who didn't to join our majority ravi i'm under a foot of snow in kansas city but i hear there is news in the world what is it
0: <laughs> well jason trump in a surprise was not convicted and listeners can remember that you need two-thirds of the Senate to convict somebody. We did get a a majority for conviction, including more Republican senators than we expected, including some surprises like Richard Burr in North Carolina. Uh, But there was controversy coming out of this uh, beyond just the controversy over letting a president act with impunity and try to sow insurrection against another body of government. We have some drama within Democratic Party because it looked for a second like the Democratic House impeachment managers were going to call witnesses, but then decided not to. And there were some witnesses in particular that seemed to have some important information about what Trump's state of mind was uh, during all of this. But they decided not to to call witnesses, and a lot of people are upset about it. I imagine some of our listeners are upset about it. Uh, how should people think about this? Uh, was it the right move? Uh, and whether it was or it wasn't, like how much does it matter?
1: this is maybe the best example in a while of a time when there is a massive divide between Twitter and probably the rest of America. And not just like Twitter and the rest of America, but between like liberal Twitter and even liberal America. Because like, if you are on Twitter, and you're and you're tweeting about this, it's because like, you're hanging on every word of this. And you know, a lot of people were, the majority of the country was not. But then, of course, you're like, how can they stop? Like, how can they stop making this argument? They've got to prove this out. They've got, we've, we've got to, it's like, I think for a lot of people, and I don't mean to trivialize it, but I think for a lot of people, it was like the show got canceled right as it was getting to its most exciting part. Right. And, 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 and like, I'm not trying to trivialize it. I recognize how important this is, you know, in history and as a precedent, I'm with that. I get it. And I also understand that people are like, hey, they're just going on vacation. I share all those same, I'm irritated for all the same reasons. But at the same time, like, it's not something where people were just like, no, we have to hear more. Like, I don't buy into the idea that it was this massive strategic mistake, as if we don't have the power of the committees to actually do oversight and to continue these investigations. I mean, we do. I don't think it's untrue that like courts are going to continue to pursue this. But you know, we got to pass COVID relief. And now what, what flies in the face of all this is they're about, you know, they're going on vacation. The truth is, I just, I'm really reminded of during the first impeachment, when a really good friend of mine, I mentioned this, I think last week, when a real good friend of mine was campaigning in heavily democratic areas, and nobody was talking about impeachment, because at the end of the day, it doesn't actually affect most people's lives, it affects the country a great deal. And it'll affect the course of history in our country, but it doesn't affect people's daily lives that much. And so I just think there's a big divide here between Twitter and the rest of the, in real life.
0: Yeah, and if there's any chance that this witness issue would draw out Senate procedure and make that that relief come any slower to to people out there who are suffering, then we shouldn't do it. I, like you, am a little bit puzzled by the fact that they went into recess anyway, so that at the very least, they could have kept this whole process open until then, you know, people deserve a break. Uh, I imagine most voters would be more sympathetic to people taking a break after you wrap up uh, a thorough trial and uh, pass a COVID relief bill than before you do those things.
1: So I can hear the thoughts of the people listening to this right now who are saying in response to us saying, you know, that it's not that one of the most important things to voters right now. I can hear people saying, sometimes doing the right thing isn't about what voters in the moment want. It's not about what, you know, that doesn't dictate what's right or wrong. It's about what's right in our history. And I agree. And I think that is a great argument as to why he needed to be impeached and why we needed to try to convict him. But the fact is, is that calling witnesses was not going to change the result. We know it wasn't going to change the result. And now maybe there's some people listening to that saying, but that needed to be in the record. If that's how you feel, what I would say to you is, if you watched the arguments from the House impeachment managers, and you don't feel like you trust the judgment of Jamie Raskin to understand what was going on with that jury, then I think you just watched a different, you know, head manager of the impeachment than I did. I I think what Congressman Raskin did was remarkable. And I know him a very little bit. I dealt with him on a couple of things and just was each time I was so impressed with how deep he went into policy without any regard whatsoever for politics. Like he's like, that is a guy who is in Congress to do the job and exclusively to do the job. And so at the end of the day, I just sort of, that's what I go to. I'm like, if he thought that was the right thing, uh, I just don't think I'm the, I don't think I should question him. Cause I, I have full faith in what he was doing. Yeah. yeah and, and there's just, it seems to me like there's a lot of people on the social media left at least, and, and on the left who are like, this is another example of the Democrats just backing down. And i don't I mean you can fault this in a myriad of different ways. I just don't think that's what this is. I think it was a strategic choice. You can disagree with it, but I don't think that it was the Democrats
0: backing down at all right well, speaking of covid relief by the way, uh we have a big debate going on about schools, and it looks like the Republican party senses a vulnerability in democratic politics, and so uh, they are trying to tether Democratic politicians to the lack of progress on school openings around the country. And so Missouri Senator Roy Blunt is a good example. He pushed a an amendment to a bill that would have tied school funding aid to reopenings, particularly saying that you only get aid if you have vaccinated teachers who go back to school. So basically saying if you have vaccinated teachers and you refuse to open your schools, uh, then you don't get relief. And Democrats voted against it. Republicans voted for it. It was a perfect party line vote. Uh, but more interesting is what's happening outside of it. If you go, you pull open, you know, we love to talk about Ben Shapiro because he's kind of a reflection of what's going on in sort of big conservative media. Is, he's it's a, all about this.
1: Because he's a giant tool. That's the other reason. A
0: giant yeah, tool with a giant reach. Yeah, uh, wait, 100%. that doesn't sound right, but maybe whatever. We'll... <laughs> but uh, but he is obsessed with this issue and they sense vulnerability uh, with the democrats here
1: let's talk about the strategy because we've seen this before right this is no different than when obama took over and how they treated the economy and by the way how they're treating the coronavirus and the economy right now right like like before obama took over they were like, okay, yeah, we're going to do these these big relief packages, right? And as soon as they knew that Obama was going to be president, they're like, we don't actually want to help with any of this. And then it was, why is this not recovering faster? Like, oh, he's doing a terrible job, right? And now they're doing the same thing to Biden on all things coronavirus. Uh, they they tried to downplay it. They tried, you know everything's fine. It's getting better. It's not that big of a deal. And now that Biden's president, as we expected, it's oh my god, it's terrible. Why is everything going so slow? When of course like. Things are going slow because he hasn't been able to speed them up enough because he inherited a cluster from the Trump administration, but they're just pretending like that never happened. So it's a it's a predictable model.
0: Right. Well, and, and to point out a few things for people who haven't been listening to every episode, to kind of lay the groundwork of at least how I feel about this, I'm largely sympathetic to administrators and educators in schools. I think when people talk about why doesn't school do X, people think of it almost as like typing like a couple sentences in a document and then it just miraculously happens, like moving educators and students around and changing schedules and changing protocols uh, are really hard things to do. And then when you put on top of that things like upgrading ventilation and just changing the nature of how close people are to each other, you know, especially as you get to younger and younger kids, which is a more tactile learning experience, these are extremely difficult issues. And, you know, where I came out over the summer was Elementary school should come back, and that middle and high school should be delayed. I think I said until Thanksgiving at the very least, and that they should that school districts should just announce pretty broad closures for a decent periods of time so that if they they can give themselves enough room to to plan for the return. So that was my view back then. I think the big change to the dynamic right now is is the presence of vaccinations. And so my view is when you have vaccinations available to all teachers within a school district, you should go back to school, and that's the view of the c d c and their guidance. They're particularly bullish on elementary schools, and a lot of school districts have done that, including some districts that have very strong union presence, and so you can kind of the unions are important here, but i they're not dispositive, right because New York has one of the strongest teachers' unions Chicago is one of the strongest teachers unions they've all agreed to go back to school, and New York has been miraculously really aggressive on this front now, where the politics I think get tough here is that there are a lot of places where there are teachers getting vaccinations, and the union and Democratic politicians, particularly school boards, it seems like people are still saying they don't want to go back. And Biden is in trouble here, I think, because he had vowed to get schools open in their first hundred days. He used pretty general and broad language on this, but he's been narrowing the definition of what he he means by open in the first hundred days. Jen Psaki was asked about this in one of her briefings and said, "Schools opening means to her quote." More than 50% of schools offering in-person teaching at least one day a week. Now, we, I love Biden. Everybody knows that. That's a walk back, and that, that's going to cause a lot of, and it did, cause a lot of outrage out there. So I think we got to fix some of this stuff.
1: Well, so here's my question, though. How much of that walk back is prompted by the fact that he's having trouble getting the COVID relief uh, funding through the Senate, Uh, Because Republicans are blocking it or at least getting the, the adequate amount, right? Like if he if he's able to to beam out to schools, the level of funding needed to put up the dividers to do things about the ventilation to do it in a hurry. How much does that change the game, right? I mean, it, it again. It reminds me of Obamacare, where the Republicans come in and they they throw all sorts of tax on the road, and they do everything they can to sabotage it, and then go, "Hey, this thing doesn't seem to be working." This part that they just you know sabotaged, and that's super frustrating, right? Because the difference between this president and the last, among many others, many other differences is. That he's not doing that, like he's not like, yeah, uh, it's not actually my fault. Like he's to his credit, like this is my responsibility. So he's not just complaining about the fact that they're not helping him, but it it definitely puts you in a vice politically.
0: Yeah, you know, and the people this affects the most are communities of color. Like you look at a lot of, there's this big debate around the San Francisco school board, right? My favorite school board to talk about because they're a mess. Uh, this is a school board that. Um, voted to change a bunch of school names uh, from Diane Feinstein and Abraham Lincoln, who just were not insufficiently liberal, I guess, enough for San Francisco, in the same school board meeting that they neglected to talk about, you know, this small issue of whether they're going to reopen their schools or not. Um, and there's just, a, you, you, if you follow along, uh, the politics of places like that. There's some frustrating stuff happening across America in some of these districts that refuse to open. But what's happening at the same time is private schools have been open uh, for a long period, long, way longer periods of time than public schools, and in some cases have been open all year. I think there's a sense out there from Republicans that hey, there's there's a, there's a bunch of places that we can we can elevate and say, all right, there's irresponsible liberals out there who are exercising their privilege but denying it for other people, voters that Democrats generally have a hard time turning out. And then you have women who are bearing the brunt of this, and and they're particularly zeroing in on suburban moms who they've lost in the Trump era and saying, let's stoke outrage among amongst them too, and just say, well, hey, this party that you elected isn't looking out for your interests.
1: There is no question that this is a politically salient argument. I mean, seven, eight months ago, you and I on this pod, we talking about the fact that The one thing Trump is right about is that if he can't get the schools back open, people in the suburbs are going to be really pissed at him, and they're going to be really pissed come election time. Like, There is no question that this is a politically salient argument, because when you're trying to do your work, and you're also playing goalkeeper to keep your kid in their seat in front of Zoom, which is really hard to do, and you feel bad about it because your kid doesn't want to stare at Zoom all day, just like none of us want to stare at Zoom all day, yeah people people want that pain to end and that can transcend any argument one way or the other i can hear people i can imagine it people being like yeah yeah i heard all that i don't care i want them back yeah. in school like, <laughs> yeah. you could yeah. just hear that coming from otherwise reasonable people
0: right and i think that gets to the dynamics of the senate i agree with you i'm not sure and actually and it's i'm coming upon the biden administration to explain like i think that like what was it that that prompted this this change from Saki, right? They did walk it they walked back the walk back after that a little bit, but still not to where you would have expected them to be based on the promise. And Republicans are sensing that hey, you know, Biden is is beholden to all these interest groups within Democratic Party. I'm not sure what's going on. I honestly don't. But, you know, it's hard to explain why New York, Chicago, DC moved but then Oregon, Washington, California didn't. There's a great New York Times article today about this Uh, Or in the past couple of days that that basically comes out saying it's West Coast sensibility. It's a great article, but basically the kicker is basically I'm not sure what's going on here, but it's potentially elected school boards, potentially just the way people on the West Coast carry themselves that like they basically were like New Yorkers are more gritty was basically the point, which is an explanation I love. But doesn't seem sufficient to really explain everything that's going on here.
1: Well you know like sometimes we forget that, and this what they didn't mention this in the article, but it's all I could think of when I read it. It's that sometimes it's practical stuff. If you're in California, the idea of your kids being home all day is a little different than it is if you're if it's wintertime and you're in New York City. like because they like you can still do stuff to some extent with other kids because you can do it outside. You know, like, or your kids can go outside. You are not inside all day yourself. Like, and I'm not saying that's dispositive here, but if we're talking about a huge difference on the coast, like, I don't think it's just cultural. I think it can have something to do with the fact that it never snows there.
0: Right, right, yeah. You know, and, and paradoxically, as somebody who used to run schools, like, you could, you could run schools better in a place like California in there era COVID, just like when you look at, for instance, like the NFL protocol, the Rams were doing all of their film study in these outdoor tents, right? Like these are the kinds of things you could set up much better in a place like California than in New York. So it kind of can cut either way. But, you know, the, my kind of sound off on this is just, I, I, this is an area where I want the Biden administration to do better, either just do better on the policy or do better on the communication or both. I, I sympathize with the educators uh, trying to make this work. And I have a uh, I think once the presence of vaccines come in, things like ventilation and things like that, Are important but they take decades to fix ventilation in some of these places so i think that's the moment where we need to be like all right let's let's get it back into gear because kids are suffering parents are suffering and it's and the weight is really falling on the most vulnerable in our society and i think this is the kind of thing that we as democrats really need to be good at and right now it seems like we could be better
1: all right so if you're listening to this right now perhaps you're thinking, okay, great, when my conservative neighbor brings this up and starts going off about it, if you know, what do I say? Well, look, we could go into what Ravi was just talking about, which is that it's kind of hard to see exactly who's right here. But the truth is, if somebody comes at you on this, they're going to come at you very aggressively. And whether you want to or not, they're going to place you in a position where you're going to have to be somewhat defensive of the Biden administration. Like, that's, that's how that person knows you. And that's, that's your role in this conversation. So if that's the case, I think there's a couple of things you can do. One, you can talk about the fact that like teaching is already really hard. And, you know, while it's, I understand you're skeptical, and I understand you're frustrated, let's start with the fact that like, neither of us could probably uh, teach young kids, for instance, like, and, and now on top of that, Folks are going in, and and they're they're worried, they're scared, and they're around these kids all all the time. And who knows like how good these kids are about wearing their masks and everything. So I would go there, but the better and more salient argument I think is what we talked about a, a minute ago, which is, you know, you can accept some responsibility and say, look, it's clear that everybody's trying to get this right, and and nobody's getting it exactly right. But it, but I think it's fair to remind people, like. The Biden administration is stuck in a situation where they are saying, this is the amount of funding we need to send out to states and to school districts in order to meet the CDC's guidelines. And the Republicans are saying, you can't have it. And then a second later saying, you're not doing a good enough job meeting the CDC's guidelines. And and I, and so I think what your goal is in this conversation is just to say, you would, you would agree with me that that's... That's not a good faith way to approach this, the way the Republicans are approaching it. Here's the battle that I'm fighting every day. There's basically four spaces in the house that I'm floating between. There's this office where I can get a lot done. There's the kitchen. There's the gym. And then finally, there's probably right now the biggest draw of all of them with this weather and with my Helix mattress, which is the bedroom. It is like a gravitational force pulling me back to the bedroom during the day.
0: Yeah, I feel you. You know, I'm I'm heading back to the States uh, next month and very close on my list. You know, it's my mom, my friends, but that Helix mattress is really high on that list of entities and people I am most looking forward to seeing. So if
1: you're looking for a mattress, you take the quiz, you order the mattress that you're matched to, and the mattress comes right to your door shipped for free. You don't ever need to go to a mattress store again. You don't got to take our word for it. Helix was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 by GQ and Wired Magazine. Who knew GQ was even rating mattresses? Helix is offering up to $200 off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners at helixsleep.com slash majority54. That's helixsleep.com slash majority54 for up to $200 off and two free pillows. Ravi, you've been wearing a hat in nearly every episode, and it's because of your growing point break head of hair.
0: You know, some of our listeners have pointed this out. Uh, and, I, and I want to thank everybody for their encouragement. Uh, I'm going to continue to grow it even when I get back to the States.
1: Right now, people are in suspense. They know this is an ad, and they're going, what the hell is this an ad for?
0: It's an ad for Nutrafol. My hair's been getting pretty long and thick down here because um, I'm trying to look like a surfer. And if you, too, want longer, thicker hair... Nutrafol is formulated with potent botanicals to help you grow hair as strong as you are. It's physician formulated to be 100% drug free. So visit Nutrafol.com and take their hair wellness quiz for customized product recommendations that put the power to grow thicker, stronger hair back into your hands.
1: You, the listener, you can grow thicker, healthier hair and support our show By going to Nutrafol.com and using promo code M54 to get 20% off, this is their best offer available anywhere, plus free shipping on every order. Get 20% off at Nutrafol.com, promo code M54, their best offer anywhere. 20% off at Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code M54
0: for hair as strong as you are. This week in misinformation, we're going to talk about a topic of misinformation, or at least a topic that seems to be very popular on the right and probably a little bit less uh, of a motivator for a lot of people who listen to our podcast, but which is just Hollywood in general and the question of is Hollywood liberal and is Hollywood liberal in a way that's problematic? Uh, and so the proximate issue that, that, that has us discussing this is Gina Carano. I hope I'm saying her name correctly uh, is an actress who's on the Mandalorian. Um, I thought she was quite good on that show. She's also a former UFC fighter. There's a lot in her background. That's inspiring. Like she broke a lot of barriers in her life and certainly seemed to overcome a lot of adversity, but has had a history of saying some questionable things on social media. And that history caught up with her last week when she was fired over a tweet in which She made remarks that were widely considered anti-Semitic. And that touched off a lot of pearl clutching going on on the right. Uh, This is another issue. Basically, when you look at Ben Shapiro's Twitter feed uh, over the past few days, you will see Gina Carano stuff. And you will see school stuff, which we've already covered. Uh, And he has now hired her on as part of a Daily Wire production company that they have that's going to be doing uh, Hollywood content. And so she was now fired from The Mandalorian but has been picked up by, by right-wing media. This seems like another just piece of evidence that there's massive polarization in every aspect of our society. But the question is, of all of this, is we could talk about Carano, like was this a justified firing or not? And then what it means. Does it mean what Republicans think it is, which is that Hollywood's liberal and they don't tolerate other voices? Is there some in-between explanation here, Jason? How do you think about it? Look,
1: Hollywood is liberal. They don't really tolerate other voices that much. Get over it. Like I, that's, I mean, that's that's my attitude about this. Is I'm like, okay, look, why why are we constantly a shocked that artists are progressive, right? That that artists you know aim to be more inclusive, and then b, why are we somehow entitled to have our view represented by people who do not work for us? They they make art. They, I mean, they're not elected officials, right? Like so. And, and and then, see, for people who constantly talk about the free market, they are shocked when corporations say, you know what, I think that the way you have behaved will affect our ability to sell you as a product. And therefore, we are going to stop, uh, you know, or we think it will affect our consumer behavior toward our brand as a whole. And therefore, it is not in our interest to continue to make a product with you. Like, I'm sorry, I thought that's how capitalism worked. I'm not even trying to get into the argument about cancel culture. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just talking about you don't you're not entitled to have somebody cast you in something. You're not into like and and maybe it's not even that they don't think that the market will bear it. Maybe they just disagree with you. I'm sorry, that's unfair, but it's not. Like, it's not so unfair that everybody gets to get mad about it. I mean, she, li- they're literally, it. she's going to Ben Shapiro's, like, alternative thing. And by the way, back to how the market behaves, why are people upset? They're upset because nobody's going to watch something created by the Daily Mail. It's just
0: assumed. It's assumed that her, <laughs> nobody's, nobody's. Because the audience <laughs> isn't
1: big, because people don't think that'll be good. And people are right. Can we take a moment to talk about, since we're talking about the Ben Shapiro creative uh, efforts, can we talk about the book for a second?
0: Please. Uh, can, I was, I've been waiting for this moment all week. So can you give our listeners a sense? Fi- find it for us. Somebody oh, tweeted out. Yeah, got somebody, i got it. Let's it's, shout out whoever this 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 uh, enterprising journalist was who read I'm, through I'm ben nervous Shapiro's about book.
1: it because I've looked at literally no other tweets from this person, so I say that with a disclaimer. Wild gear-ters. <laughs> this is his quick summary of, of Ben Shapiro's novel, which is called True Allegiance. Just finished Ben Shapiro's novel and feel like I've taken a deep dive inside Ben's mind. The main hero in the story is a military badass who was unathletic and unpopular in school, but then he hit a growth spurt later in life and became tall and strong. The other heroes, Grace, please do not cut any of this. This is so important. The other heroes are the Texas governor who is fighting the federal government while leading Texas forces in an invasion into Mexico to secure the border and a California rancher who blows up a federal building and starts a militia because of a regulation dispute with the EPA. Those are the heroes. The main villains are a black preacher who teams up with a crack dealing Black Lives Matter guy to trick a white cop into killing an unarmed black kid to start riots and the president who is from Chicago and wants to cut military spending and spend more on social welfare and an evil imam. Highlight of the novel is when on orders from the crack dealing BLM guy, the president from Chicago drone strikes the white cop after the cop has been acquitted. And then he said, I also enjoyed this part about a plane being hijacked by Muslims, but only one hero reacting because the rest are paralyzed by political correctness.
0: Oh, my God. I just wanted wow. to get
1: that. I wanted to enter that into the record that, uh, that you know, that's that's the alternative reality that Ben Shapiro wishes to live in. And my favorite part about it, my favorite part about it, is that clearly in that alternative reality, Ben Shapiro actually joined the military. And, and that, I, I think, perhaps, is the least believable part.
0: Well, you know, it made me laugh because... You know, I've been been dipping my toe into writing a lot, and I joke with my friends a lot that every main character and everything I ever write Mm -hmm. is some version of me that I wish existed. Uh, And so, you know, like I'll I'll write into something like looks like Javier Bardem or something, just as a way to like, you know, it's like a way to like yield into existence what you wish was true. (laughs) Uh, And so, you could see that with Ben Shapiro right now. You know, the way the way I come down on this kind of stuff is, I agree with you on the free market stuff, hundred percent, and. On the flip side, it frustrates me that, that corporate America is dominated by people who have been skewing their donations uh, to Republicans and, and that the, the businesses that I frequent are espousing those values, especially as it relates to taxation and things like that. That's frustrating too, right? It, it, is, it is their right, uh, but I am always looking to restrict the influence of that money. It's a little bit more complicated. The thing that I sympathize in terms of the premise of well-intentioned people, and I would use my brother as an example here is that he's legitimately concerned about how wide the circle of what is deemed appropriate or not gets, right? Like, if somebody's legitimately anti-Semitic, I think my brother's like, fine, we don't listen to them, hopefully, right? In a world where we're taking Lincoln and Feinstein off of school names, I think that's where he's like, I don't trust you guys to have too much power, whether it's power in Hollywood or power in corporate America or power in politics, and there's an obvious rejoinder which was you know the person who is the standard bearer for your party is the least trustworthy human being but that's more whataboutism right so let's 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 kind of keep it to our side for a second i do worry about how wide the circle gets i looked at gina carano's tweets purely from the perspective of just like on its face not knowing a ton about her like is there a sensible explanation for each of these or like is there mistakes made that an apology would have done? And I think I differ from a lot of people in saying, well, like her point about her most recent tweet was historically incorrect, but the premise was that Jews were mistreated. It wasn't like she was saying anti-Semitism is good. She was just incorrect about the history. And she was trying to say that her plight was in some way similar to theirs, which is also incorrect. I probably wouldn't have fired somebody over that. I would have been like, hey, correct the record. You're not treated like Jews were. And yes, Jews were mistreated by a lot of people but you said that they weren't mistreated by soldiers which is incorrect too so why don't you correct that she had other tweets there was some mural that she tweeted out i looked at it i read a really good ar- article from reason from eugene volick that was basically like this is has a anti-semitic past but it's not clear that she knew that and it wasn't clear on the face of the mural so like you can go through each of the things that say there's an innocent explanation. She does have a body of work where she dabbles in anti-mask stuff, which is problematic if you work in Hollywood and we got to ask everybody to use masks, you know, and sympathy with the post-election conspiracy theorizing and all that. You put it all together, would she be somebody who I'd love to work with? No. Does that last tweet justify firing? At least in my, where I work, I would have been, I would have asked for an apology and that probably would have been sufficient. What do we make of it? I have no idea. Here's
1: what I think that's always missed in this, um, and you sort of alluded to it, is that Hollywood is just a series of workplaces. It's no different than anything else, right? And so there's always more going on here, and and so like you you alluded to the idea that you know she's had things she said that are anti-mask. Well, we know that a lot of money gets spent on these productions, and if. If you aren't following the protocols, you could cost everybody their job. Like Tom Cruise made that pretty well known this this uh, past few months when he screamed at everybody on a, I think a Mission Impossible production. Or yeah, whatever.
0: and it wasn't on Oprah's couch this time. I think yeah, it yeah. was,
1: you know, and and so it like
0: it got that across.
1: So that's one element of it that builds up. Another element of it, I think, is honestly, like I love that show that character is a little bit played out. Like, I think if that character were essential to the show, maybe you get a different result here, right? Again, that's just economics. If it's an indispensable part of the revenue stream, that's one thing. And then the final part that I actually think is the bigger deal here is that she's said several things that have been anti-trans comments. The the star of the show, her co-star, Pedro Pascal, has on social media said, I really think, you're wrong about this. And I really hope you open your heart. And then like in the last few weeks, I don't know if it was news before that, I found out that his sister has come out as transgender. At the end of the day, like, is that not quite possibly what's going on here that like, you have somebody who this is a a really important part of their life. And he's been really vocal and supportive of that person of his sibling. And then you have a co star who's out there saying these things that are hurtful about his family. And like on that team, like, he's the quarterback, right? Like, I mean, that's what happens right. in football. Like, if the quarterback has a problem with somebody, usually the tie goes to the quarterback in terms of which personnel are going to get kept. Like, it's a workplace. Like, yeah, when people are just crushing it in every other aspect in any workplace and then they make a mistake, well, that tends to be forgiven. But when you are over and over and over again making it more difficult in your workplace, like, you know, there's a tipping point.
0: Here's my push to listeners on this stuff is... If you're talking to somebody who's concerned about this, ask them why. Like, what is it in their life that they're that they're worried about? Like, are they worried about getting canceled? If so, for what? And try to hear them out about any legitimate fear about this kind of stuff, even if you hold the line on on your ultimate point about Hollywood being able to do whatever it wants to do and that like some of these things are fireworthy, whatever. I because my sense is there are people really concerned about this stuff. There are people who sense that there's a standard that is that, that they don't understand or that they think is unfair. And it's possible that in certain circumstances, they're going to be right about this and that we should just keep an open eye out for for any overreach on this stuff because the overreach actually is the thing that gets in the way of progress on this stuff uh, many times.
1: Here's where I think it comes from. Art and popular culture, the function that they play in our society is they, they reflect back at us and they help us, uh, the proverbial you know generic us the we they help us see ourselves and that's the role they play right like we we like to see it and better understand not ourselves individually but ourselves as a nation ourselves as a society and 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 that's what we're all trying to get out of it and when you look at the uh, the different mediums and the different genres that people gravitate to it's because that's the version that that they're attracted to of the society they live in or or of the people that that they're around and when you live in between the coasts, frankly, you don't see yourself reflected much. And and I think this is a sensitivity about that. I mean, I remember growing up, there was a show that lasted like, I don't know, six episodes. And it was, I don't remember what it was called, but it was set in Kansas City. And it was a sitcom. It was a 30 minute sitcom. And, and it was the biggest damn deal. Like, Oh, my God, they know we're here. Oh, my God, they see us is how we felt. And it had great little jokes. It didn't get everything right, you know, but it had great little jokes because it was a guy who had moved from, like, Connecticut or somewhere and now he's living in Kansas City and he was, like, you know, coming to grips with the fact that there was meat, like, lots of it at every meal and that, you know, and that barbecue was, like, a religion and that, like, the whole world shut down on Sunday and everybody wore red and, you know, all that. And we were, like, it was exhilarating, right? Um, but like if you live in LA or New York or whatever, like you walk outside and you just see stuff that you just watched depicted as a backdrop on Netflix. Literally
0: pre COVID in my neighborhood in New York, I would see filming multiple times a day. Right. That's how, that's how common it was.
1: There, you know yeah. what? I, I got a notification last week on next door that somebody thought they saw Ryan Reynolds at a grocery store near us and everybody had the correct response, which was. That's impossible and not the case. Right. (laughs) So, like, that, that, so that's part of it. Right. So, I think that the sensitivity, it is, I think that it is not a sensitivity to the idea that what if we can't say things that push the envelope? I don't think that's what it is. I think it is a, it is almost like you'll, you'll never see us. And that's not, I'm not saying that like people where I'm from are anti Semitic or people where I'm from are insensitive to these issues. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying it's adjacent to this feeling. And therefore, it gets close enough to the emotion that it's very easy to connect that for people in my part of the country because what it comes down to is it's just a reminder that they don't see you and they don't care about you. And you are not really a part of the people who really run the country because it always feels like the people who are guiding the country, they must be the people who make the content that we all consume because that seems like a very powerful perch to have.
0: So Jason, I I know I probably drink a lot more wine than you, but buying wine is kind of a stressful experience if you don't really, if you're not an expert. And I find that often I just kind of randomly pick wines and then some of them are really awesome, but then I forget what it was that I ordered. And then I wind up having to play detective trying to figure out what it was that really spoke to me. One of the many reasons why I really like our sponsor, First Leaf Wine Club, is that it's like being a VIP in the world of wine. You could discover top-rated wine at exclusive discounted cost with practically zero effort, and then you just have a record of all the wine that you've ever had, and so you could look back and say, well, I really like this one, and not only can you order that, you can let the system know that, and they'll pick a bunch of other wines that are similar and you might even find something you like even more than that.
1: Diana and I, we've filled out our list, and, and uh, we know our wine is, is on the way. And uh, I'm looking forward to reporting back to people on it, but but I'm pumped about it. Discover new wine like a VIP by becoming a First Leaf member. Join today, and you'll—seriously, people, listen to this deal. This is an insanely good deal. Join today, and you'll get six bottles of wine for twenty nine ninety five and free shipping. Just go to tryfirstleaf.com slash majority54. That's six bottles of wine for twenty-nine dollars and ninety-five cents and free shipping at tryfirstleaf.com/slash majority fifty-four.
0: Quarantine Corner, Jason. Um, what's new in your week this week?
1: Uh, speaking of depictions of uh, you know, the Midwest and of this part of the country and, and of, of movies, as I'm working on this book you know, when I write, I really like to put in pop culture analogies and references, um, because I just think it's easier to communicate things. And I was going to put in a reference to Hoosiers. And so I went back and I was on YouTube watching a few clips from that movie. And for those who don't remember, it's the movie about the, uh, it's based on a true story. It's the, it's, you know, tiny town, Hickory, Indiana, that ends up going to the, to the state championship and, and, and winning. And I was watching the part where they go and like the team they play against uh, in Indianapolis is like you know seen as this big bad scary team, and I was rewatching it now, and, and the the mate like the protagonists are all white, and the team they're playing is all is all black, and and it's sort of like you know, the, the the music, everything you still, you can't help you root for the small town team. But looking back on it, I actually wonder, and I, I'm like motivated to go read about what really happened. I wonder now, like, am I a hundred percent sure that in this game, these guys were the good guys? I mean, like, wasn't, right. wasn't their life appreciably better than the team they're playing against. And also these were from the way it's depicted, I guess these were inner city kids in like the sixties, you know, all black kids in, in Indianapolis. And on top of that, like, How sure are we that the refs even called that game fair? I mean, you know, so anyway, my quarantine corner is like, I just kind of had a mind blowing moment about a movie that I watched as a kid and was like, just a great sports movie, great Gene Hackman performance, great Dennis Hopper performance that I'm like, huh, I wonder if I was rooting for the right people in that movie.
0: That's a good point. And it would be interesting if some subversive... Hollywood director took that on as a Hoosiers 2 to take it from the oppo- opposite perspective. Mm-hmm. It would um, be a great
1: 30 for 30 doc. Oh,
0: for sure. Yeah. Mine is a, f- a trivial quarantine corner. Um, this is an idea for my friend Gina, who is also learning Italian. Uh, she is creating um, a Instagram account that's like an alias for herself where she only posts on Instagram in Italian. And I have followed suit suit today and I'm I'm about to post my first one today. So if you want to follow along, it's going to be Ravi Guptino, G U P T I N O. And I'm only going to post in Italian and I'm probably going to get a lot of things wrong. Um, it's right now, it's just an eggheaded, uh, Instagram thing. I haven't put a photo or anything up yet, but in the next 24 hours, probably by the time you listen to this podcast, there will be something up written in Italian. And if you, uh, if you just want to follow my my journey in the Italian language then uh, then follow Ravi Guptino on Instagram
1: I love it that's that's a great idea that is a great idea for working on your uh, for working on your language uh, I love it
0: yes yeah, so for our grab and word just connecting it back to our education segment uh, you know attend a school board meeting and maybe your school board is really with it uh, or maybe they're just missing some things and you could ask some tough questions or just share your experience with your school board um, and and give them a little bit of urgency. To get things open if they don't have it right now.
1: It's a great recommendation because if you do live in an area where the schools are closed, the chances are that school board meeting is happening virtually anyway, and so it's a really, really low barrier for you and your neighbor to attend.
0: Right. Yeah, and tweet about it, give your opinion, shout out to people doing the right thing, um, challenge the people who you disagree with. It's that's what democracy is about, and schools are one of the most local issues. You know, it's one of the issues that you can make one of the some of the biggest difference in your community.
1: Well, and also I think you're going to hear, if you attend a school board meeting, you're going to hear all sorts of volunteer opportunities in the schools, uh, you know, or ways that you can help the schools, ways you can help the teachers. And, And so it's just a good way to get involved. All right, you can always leave us a voicemail. We encourage you to do so. Um, we look forward to getting back to answering more of your voicemails in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it's 508-687-2589, 508-687-2589. Uh, remember to get a grab-and-or t-shirt. I mean, it's not, you know, if you, a couple months away, you're going to be wearing t-shirts again. You're going to want to impress people, get that conversation going. It's wondermedianetwork.com slash bonfire. I'm at Jason Cander on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, you can go to Ravi's English language Instagram and see a lot of, of great surfing content here lately. He's he's getting much better. You can see that he's staying up on the board longer. Ravi, I don't want to embarrass you, but one of my good friends said that his mom is a, is a listener to the show and she must be following you on Instagram because I guess what she said to him was, Ravi looks... Not like what I expected. And I think that's uh, a compliment. So anyway, that's probably... That's a
0: compliment probably on what I look like and and, and an insult is what I sound like is how I'm going to read that.
1: Uh... Well, either way, either way, you know, whatever you're doing in the gym, I guess is paying off for my buddy's mom. Ravi is at Ravi M. Gupta on Twitter and Instagram and our show is at Majority54 on Twitter. Remember, we all have a platform. Make sure to use yours today. Majority 54 is a Wonder Media Network production. It's produced by Grace Lynch and Edie Allard. Theme music provided by Kimmet Coleman. Special thanks to Diana ha, <laughs> I love that. It's in a book so take a look. Reading Rainbow. Yeah, isn't that it? Something like that?
0: Hi, listeners. It's Robbie with a question for you. What if instead of being on the brink of disaster, we're on the cusp of a better world. For that answer, I recommend listening to the What Could Go Right podcast. Each week, Progress Network founders Zachary Carabell and Executive Director Emma Lucas dive into the biggest news and most pressing topics of our time, from elections to climate change, and make the case for a brighter future with guests like Harvard Professor Arthur C. Brooks and California State Senator Robert Hertzberg. Progress is on the way. Find out on What Could Go Right, available wherever you get your podcasts.